Well, hello, everybody. This is Rabbi Dan Levin, and this is Essential Questions. Within hours of the attack on Israel on October the 7th, hundreds of thousands of Israeli soldiers jumped into their uniforms, kissed their families goodbye, and went back to their bases to begin their reserve service as part of the Israel Defense Forces. None of them fully understood what had taken place already in the southern part of Israel, and none of them could have imagined the months of service that would come and what would be asked of them and their families. We are blessed today that our cantorial soloist, Michelle Auslander Cohen, will be spending time in conversation with Major Noam Goldberg, a company commander who is serving with fellow reservists in the Golan Heights. He and his platoon mates will share with you the incredible stories of their service over the last more than 100 days and what they're fighting for, and also the impact on their families and their businesses who are waiting for them at home. We look forward to this very special edition of Essential Questions as we ask ourselves, what is it like to serve in the reserves of the Israel Defense Forces? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special interview. It's an Israel update with a group of IDF reservists. They are from Unit 7490, and they are stationed in the Golan Heights, which is near Syria. I'd like each of them to take a moment and introduce themselves to you. Um, except for the very first one, I would like to also take a moment and share that uh, Noam, who we're going to hear from in a moment, is the brother of one of our dear members, Lee Rotter. Uh, you may see Lee singing up on the Bima regularly. Her children go to our religious school, and um, she was involved with our Bethel Talks this past year. So we are deeply honored to have her brother and some of his friends joining us today, giving us an update about what they're doing and what their life is like right now in Israel. So Noam, we'll take it away. Hi. Good evening, or actually good morning, your time, local time. Uh, I'm very happy to be here and uh, to be part of the meeting, especially for the community, this great community that my sister is part of. And I'm in the Golan Heights in the past three months, me and another few thousand soldiers, reserve soldiers, October 7th, found me Back at home in the south part of Israel, I live near Be'er Sheva in a, in a small place called Lavim, which probably no one out of Israel never heard of the place. Uh, 8,000 people live there, that's about it. Uh, like maybe a small neighborhood in Boca. Um, October 7th found us like very surprised. And uh, I can't even describe what we felt there and still feel. Three months later, I'm not even sure what I think about it yet, but uh, just one thing I could say that I realized after a long time, many years, today I'm part of this reserve, that uh, we don't have a choice. We need to fight to exist here, and if you won't do it, no one else will do it. And ever since then, we are here, and we will stay as long as we need, and thank you very much for your support. Of course, thank you. And Leah? Hi everyone, my name is Leah Bahiri. Um, I'm 23 years old. I was born in Israel, but I grew up in the States. 
Um, when I finished high school, I decided to come to Israel. I did a volunteer gap year and then drafted into the army as an infantry instructor. After that, I went to the to an officer's course, to the officer's course, um, and I finished my regular service about a year and two months ago. Uh, when October 7th hit, I wasn't called for reserves right away, and I started looking for places to come and do reserves. Uh, I couldn't sit at home after what happened, uh, and then my phone number kind of passed along and somehow got to um, Unit 7490. And since uh, the second week of October, uh, third week of October, I've been with them in the Golan Heights. Um, Thank you so much. And Ori? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having us. Uh, so my name is Ori Silvovitz, 44 years old, married with five kids. Uh, I live in Ali. Um, I was born and grew up most of the time in Israel. My father served in the IDF, so we were sent twice to the U.S. when I was a kid. Um, I actually retired the regular my regular service uh, 20 years ago, and since then, once in a while, we are being called to the to reserve duty. And as Noah mentioned, also on July 7th, uh, I was on October 7th. Sorry, I was uh, at my house in LA celebrating Simchat Torah, and uh, about two hours, three hours after after we heard about what's going on, we were all already in the Golan Heights with hundreds of people from our units and thousands of people from other units and nobody thought it would be it would became a war of a couple of months longer than any other war we remember but we are here to stay until until we can come back home and, and understand that other people in israel can go back to their home safely both in the north and in the in the south thank you and Eitan. hi my name is Eitan brown uh, i was born in ottawa canada um, and uh, moved to israel made aliyah when i was four years old i'm 31 years old uh, served in the Givati Brigade um, and and now reservist in the Unit 7490 as an, uh, functioning as an op operations officer. So could you explain to us a little bit what the difference is between a reservist and somebody who is in the Army on a regular basis? Like what, what does it mean to be called up to the Army as a reservist? What were you prepared to do? And um, are you... Did you know what to expect? Are you there longer? Do you have, do you have even a choice of how long you stay? So being a reservist, um, being a reservist is uh, is one of the most uh, I think Israeli things that exist. Um, you know, Israelis they draft into the you know we have mandatory service, and you know you think it's over after two or three years, maybe for officers it's a bit longer, but but actually um, most of your service is done in the reserves. Um, as you can see, we are the age range here is very big. Uh, we have a 23 year old and 44 year old, and we also have people who are are older than that in our unit. Um, it's it's a uh, it's a it's like having a second job that you do for decades. I will say that this is my first time in reserves, so it's definitely not the regular kind of reserves. Usually, reserve units do at least once in. Um, in a year, like like a fight, a soldiers fighting, uh, reserve units about once in a year, once in a two years, they uh, go for about a month. Um, so for me, this is my first reserves, and it's not the regular um, day to day reserves that people do. Eitan, can you do you want to continue? Um, I don't know where I got cut off, so I'll just uh, 
I'll just uh, repeat some of the things that they have said. It's true. Uh, we come here routinely. Uh, we we show up, you know, between uh, between uh, a few days. It ranges between a few days to a few weeks per year, depending on your on what's going on and what your what your job is. But um, but we we see each other regularly. Um, you work with the same people for years. Could be even for decades. Um, and yeah, three months is definitely not routine. Um, basically, if we come here routinely for a couple weeks a year, then ultimately, if if there is a war, then we you know we we are expected to, and we know that that we need to show up here for as long as it takes. Um, three months could be longer. Yeah. And just want to add. Yeah. I just want to add to that shortly that I'm very proud to say that I served. I served four years in regular uh, military and past 18 years as a reserve officer. And I'm very proud of it because I'm just doing what I, whatever I need to do to be part of this large, large group of great people who are doing, just trying to do our best to save our country, to make sure that we can live, live here peacefully and to make sure that thousands of people now, right now, in the north part of Israel, can come back home sometime. We have here, like, I don't even know the number, but many, many people who cannot go back home. Okay, kids are not going to school, finding some places. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, we have guys here in our group that they don't have a home to go back in the north. And the same thing in the south. We will do. It is very difficult, very difficult but we will do whatever we need to do as long as we need to do to make sure they can go back home and be safe at home and to make sure that October 7 won't happen again, ever. Not now, not next year, not anytime again. So there's not any question as far as I'm concerned and many of the other people about coming here and doing whatever we need to do to make sure that's not gonna happen again. And it's very difficult it's not so easy to leave. I mean, I used to be a lawyer through that three months ago. I'm not even sure about that anymore. A daily job, I work at the state attorney. And they, I mean, I don't even know what's going on there anymore. And, I, and again, I'm proud to be here because I'm, usually we have, we're very privileged and we have option to like think about what we want to do in our life. And, and how we want to uh, live our life and where we want to spend our time with our family, with our friends. And thank God we have a great country. Although sometimes, I mean, on CNN, things look, look terrible here, but we do have a great time here. And it's a really great country. Uh, I'm an American citizen. I am a British citizen. I never thought for a moment to leave this country. And I'm very proud to be Israeli and I'm very proud to live here in Israel. Uh, having said that, I, I realized that October 7, we're not talking anymore about how we're going to live our life. We're now dealing with living our life. So it's a very small question. It doesn't really make any, it doesn't mean so much to other things. We need to make sure that we can come back to our normal, normal. I mean, in the Middle East, nothing is normal, but to make sure that we can go back to our works, our jobs, our families and I don't want to go back to what we had until October 6th or 7th. I want something different. 
I want something totally different. And I want to do whatever it takes. Me and not a hundred, a hundred of people who I'm serving directly with and many thousands of soldiers, many of them, I mean, most of them in reserve army, which left families, jobs for such a long time. And we'll do it again and again and again, whatever we need to do. Many of my friends went home. I mean, was released uh, like a few weeks ago just to be home for a few weeks. And they're coming back again, coming back again. And uh, we'll do whatever it takes, how long it takes. Hopefully it won't take too many time, too much time and not too many years, but uh, we'll be here as much as we need. It's amazing. It's amazing uh, how much how much you love, you know, Am Yisrael is just, it's so amazing and it's so beautiful. And it's something that I know that uh, we all long to feel by wanting to come there and help support you, um, which leads me to ask um, so many people here in our community and in a lot of um, American Jewish communities are wondering really what kind of support is the most meaningful, helpful kind of support that we can give you. You know, at first um, we had communities that were bringing duffel bags filled with just stuff, you know, to bring to people or to bring to the evacuees from the from the south. Um, we understand now that that's not the most helpful way to go about helping. So we've um, tried hard to collect money for different communities and different things, but um, so that you don't feel that you are alone fighting there, so that you feel our love and support, what is the most helpful thing that we can do to help you feel that? First of all, I want to say again that I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Uh, I mean, what do we have if not you? our brothers and sisters all over the world. And we need your support. First of all, with standing with us and uh, telling the world the truth. That's the most important important thing. And yeah, in the first few weeks after October 7, I don't remember when it was, but nearly three months ago, I spoke to uh, my brother-in-law, Lise's uh, husband, Easy, and, uh, and he was asking me, what do we need? And I told him like, we've got everything. We really do. I mean, you could always get better things. And uh, and such a terrible thing that happened. Yeah, we were not ready for that, okay? Terrible things happen and we need to fix things here, okay? And we, we will do that. We will do that. We're starting, we're working on it right now. Um, and we, I, I didn't even think about something I, I need, not in personal, not in public. And I really didn't like the fact that I was uh, getting those videos that, uh, that the IDF is not ready, the equipment and everything, which is mostly not true. Certain units, yeah, had difficulties in the beginning and uh, thank God we're in a totally different place now. But uh, I think it's important to say why certain units is because the amount of reservists that, that just showed up without even getting a Tzav Shmona, which is what we call emergency, uh, like coming in an emergency, you have a couple hours to get there. There was 150%, I think, for my, correct me if I'm wrong, but of reservists that came without even getting that call to get there. 
So that was the reason that there wasn't enough because there was such an influx of people that weren't necessarily called for um, at that point. And I think that's, uh, Eitan talked about it and Noam talked about it, that um, what being Israeli is and what being part of this community is that once, and this community is a little tiny country in the Middle East, that each person feels like they're protecting their home, no matter if they lived on the Gaza border or lived in the Lebanon border or live in the middle of Israel, which is right now where I live, you still feel like you're protecting your country. And I think that's what being Israeli is, being there when you're called or not called to protect um, to protect Israel. That's why it appeared that there was a, so- a shortage of materials or whatever, because we, uh, our communities got a lot of, we kept hearing a lot of, you know, um, uh, whatever my son's friend's uh, unit doesn't have the helmets that they need or they don't have the equipment they need. And there was a lot of this like kind of panicked, uh, you know, fundraising to send uh, these kinds of materials over there. And that that was confusing to a lot of our communities. Like, how is it that they don't that they don't have what we need and how can we even get it to them from here? You know, I just want to say one more thing about that. First of all, I was really touched and excited hearing from Izzy, uh, like in, in during October, telling me that the the governor of Florida was sending like two planes every day, just collecting what the Jewish community in Florida is sending us all the goods. Uh, it was very exciting because he's not part of the Jewish community, and hearing that the Jewish community got so much stuff in I don't know some somewhere in Miami. And he came there visiting and said, okay, we got two planes a day. It, it was very nice uh, to hear that. And uh, we're very thankful for that. Now, in, in what we are trying to do now in, in this period of time, and Ori will uh, talk about it in a moment, to have this project helping our people in personal. I mean, they're getting paid whatever we need, the basics. The, the country is taking care. The state of Israel, we're fine. But we have these people who are struggling back home from many different uh, personal problems. And uh, maybe uh, we're just trying to help them out, our, our guys, yeah? No, we don't need any equipment. We don't, we're not talking about anything else. And uh, that was the, the point of this small... Uh, project that Ori is taking care of, and maybe you can uh, say yep. a few words about it. Sure. So first of all, before talking about this project, you know, it's amazing. You spoke about equipment, and, and uh, Leah said that many people came and showed up and were not prepared. You know, only a few weeks before the war began, people here in Israel in the newspapers were talking about, uh, I don't know, 50% of the people won't show up next time because of the, you know, the debate in Israel regarding the the, the judicial reform. Yeah, the ju- judicial reform. Eventually, what happened is that 130 percent of people came out, came up, and and showed up from right wing, left wing, you know, from the periphery, periphery, and the, from the central. Eventually, after all the debates, we're one people here in Israel and with Jews abroad, and we were thankful for that. So, regarding this this project that uh, Noam just uh, started to mention, we we found out that the army, the IDF can, can you know, provide us with any equipment we need. But the thing is that some people, some soldiers came up when their families are str- financially struggling. Now, if you come for a few days or, or a week or two, that's one thing. But when you come 
and we're here already more than three months and people come only for an example there's one guy from Sderot in the north in the south that his house he he stayed a couple of days with his family in in the Mamad in the shelter yeah and after the the IDF was able to to finish the war there in Sderot they were moved to a hotel in, in Elat his family and then he came he said okay I'm prepared I can, I'm coming so he came to the army and then his house in Sderot was hit by a missile this is crazy. And you think about that this guy is here with us when his health was hit, but he said, my mission now is to protect my, my country. So this is one example. But other people, like some of them are unemployed right now. Some of them have some, some debts and issues with the bank. And instead of, you know, um, doing their best in order to make money outside there, they're here with us because they understand that this is more important than, than anything else. So we decided as, as a unit, and I can tell you that couple of other units already imitated our model. What we did it is uh, opened a JGIV uh, uh, link that um, we sent out to people here in Israel and abroad. People donate money. And the nice thing here is that, first of all, they get a receipt that they have the tax deduction on it, both in Israel and abroad. And second, we don't give out money. We, first of all, we don't take this money and buy equipment. This is not the mission here. And second, we don't give a soldier money. After the commanders here interview all the soldiers and we understand who exactly are the people that are needed and, and need our support, we give them cards, not money. This money is being transferred to cards. And we give them cards that they can buy anything they need in the supermarkets besides cigarettes and alcohol. And by this way, we know that the money goes only for good reasons. It doesn't go as cash. You don't, it goes only for soldiers, for the families, and only for people who really need it. We are really proud about it because we think that we are not only a unit, we are a community. And it's not only about the soldiers, it's also about the wives, husbands, kids, families that we are committed to to support. So I think I think it's it's our honor that we are able during the war to help our, our soldiers and and support them and help them. And I think that when someone's wife in house, you know, waiting three months to her, to her husband and know that his unit is taking care of her family and we, we think about them, we do our best in order to, to support them, that makes us believe that even if in a few months we'll be called back, she will support her husband and say, you know what, it's your turn now to go back to the army because I know people are taking care of me. So all of the money, 100% of the money, no middlemen, no NGO that takes any money, 100% of the money is being transferred to cards that we give out to soldiers, only those who need it, who need it and they can buy in the supermarket while they go back home and buy any goods they need for their families. And this is something that you, just your unit, has come up with and um, organized the whole system for how for how it's going to work? Like yeah, but... You, you don't have a, a staff person working on this for you. This is all within... Because I, I looked at the website, and I know that we're going to uh, put a link to the website um, after this. Thank you. Uh, when this when this ends, um, first of all, the website's amazing. Um, it's so organized and it's so clear. Um, so, how did you have time to put all that together in between? You know so everything we were, else you're doing. So we were privileged to work with the. In order to establish a new NGO, it takes like two years to get all the you know all the uh, clarifications and and uh, approvals from the government. So we work with the an existing NGO 
But the nice thing is that they're so such a good people. They take nothing for it. There's no middlemen here. I only had to write the text and send them the text. And, uh, you know, once it happens, it, it works. And we're lucky and, and very privileged and thankful that a couple of units came to us. We, get, we send out all the information. They have their link, and they're now collecting money for their units, for their soldiers. And you can be sure that this money doesn't go for anything else but helping only soldiers who need it, only for buying their goods in the supermarket, nothing else. And uh, we, as I said before, we're proud about it and we're happy that we can support our soldiers. I, I want to add that, yeah. that our, our unit has, has prioritized uh, uh, this. Um, uh, we usually um, don't, uh, you know, during the year, we don't have uh, this ongoing system because of the war. A few weeks in, when it was when, when we started noticing that that we're in here for the long run, mm -hmm. um, it became evident that we need to form a special team, a squad in the unit that is dedicated to this purpose, just for the welfare of the soldiers. Set aside the military needs of the unit, just the welfare. Uh, Ori is part of a team of people that that they deal amongst other things with the with this. It's been prioritized by our unit. Because we, because as was mentioned, we are a community and we are in this for the long run, and we want to keep the soldiers here. So it's it's uh, it's it's something that's been ongoing, and they keep on, uh, you know, coming up with new ideas. And uh, this is after you know a lot of thought has been put into it. Um, yeah. I do. I do want to add just one more thing about it. We are thinking about long term, which means that we realize we're going to be back. I mean, I don't know when we're going home. We are hearing rumors about the fact that maybe we're going to be uh, sent home sometime in the next few weeks for a short period of time. I don't know if it's going to be weeks or a few months. I don't know. But we do know already when we're coming back. So uh, thinking long term and realizing that we do need our unit uh, to be strong together, soldiers and the officers, everyone, without being too much worried about what's going on back home. And we're planning on taking this during the whole year, not only on the time we are serving together, and we are already thinking about, about more things, what, what can we do to help our people? And, and later on, what can we do to connect them together, not only with their personal problems, but we are thinking already where we're, we're having plans about meeting out of the service and connecting people and connecting families because this is what it's all about. We're here, each, everyone is here for his friends, for his families, and the, we realize how important that's it. And that's what we're dealing now aside of the other things we need to do here. It's amazing. It's really, it's really what I think um, every synagogue uh, in America is trying to do is trying to build community and trying to help people understand, you know, what does it mean to be there for each other? But I think um, at the end of the day, what what we need to do is learn from you um, that how how you're there for each other, even in even in such a crisis state, you know, um, because because at the end of the day, like you said, it's it's just about community. And if a soldier needs to come come again and fight he needs to know that his wife is being well taken care of and the wife needs to be supportive of them going you know it's um 
there's a whole picture to be to to look at. So I think it's it's just incredible that under the circumstances that you're all in of October 7th and with all and the fighting and the, all of the uncertainty that you're able to think in such um, logical, long term, realistic ways about all of it. I think that's symbolic, by the way. I mean, the war started maybe at the at the worst time for the Israeli people. I mean, solidarity wasn't here. We were, all, you know, we were fighting each other with demonstrations every day from the right, from the way, from the from the left. And in some way, in our you know our very small word of Unit Four Four Seven Nine Zero, this is our answer. I mean, the answer for for fighting and be, being separated is building back solidarity and careness. And nobody cares if you're coming from the periphery, from the center, if you're religious or secular, where you're right wing or left wing. We try to be here together and to support people who need help. And nobody speaks here politics. Nobody cares about it now. In in a in a way, we think that you know, it's funny, but we think that everything we we knew before and heard before in the in the in the news in the media about all the fighter, that's not the real world. The real world is here in the in the reserves when we see each other in the in the eyes and. When you say how people really care about each other, even if if you're different, so this is this is not about fighting against Hezbollah or Hamas here. It's a thing, you know, one small thing we do uh, simultaneously now in order to fight back the the internal war we had before. So now we're we're you know we're building building back our community as a unit, and we hope that other people in other units will do the same. Uh, one thing, just my the feminist in me has to say that there's also <laughs> wives in reserves, and there's also women who are uh, combat soldiers and are also in Gaza right now fighting, maybe in a slightly different way, but they're also in there and paramedics that are women and doctors that are women. So just my the feminist in me has to say that there's also wives that are in reserves that need the that the opposite of help, or wives and husbands that are together in reserves. And the children are home, so the feminist in me had to say that. For sure, I really, I really appreciate that. It's funny. I'm sitting here with um, as you hear, Jason, uh, our producer here, who who was like, you know, yes, absolutely. I'm sure that there are husbands also at home with the women fighting. Um, so thank you for thank you for. Uh, I think it's harder to be at home up. with kids. By the way, I think it's much harder. I mean, as a husband, if my wife was now in Gaza, I would. <laughs> I would commit suicide. Just being alone is <laughs> much, much harder. It's scarier, right? <laughs> so, I mean, one thing I wanted to ask, which I, I don't know if there's even a way to answer this, but, um, you know, how so many of you made the choice to go to, to do what you're doing and to, to leave your family and to leave your home and to leave the routine of the life and the path that you are on uh, to, to go fight and to go, you know, protect, protect Israel and protect the, the whole Jewish people. So I'm just wondering what kind of thoughts go through your head? Do you, do you ever feel scared? Do you feel, you know, nervous and, and assuming that you do, how do you move past that to say, this is the most important thing that I need to be doing right now? Um, I, I'd like to answer that. Um, my job in the army before um, the reserves was not um, a mifsayi job. I was more in the um, teaching people how to do things like before and 
more in the background. So suddenly to come to the reserves and be in the command center uh, and in charge of the command center, suddenly I saw the Israeli army in a different light. And I think if you're not scared, then you're not human. And if you're not nervous, then you're not human. And I don't think there's one soldier who whose thoughts didn't go through his head that I am scared. And this is scary and it's not an everyday thing. But like everyone said, our number one priority is uh, keeping Israel safe and making sure that people can return back to their homes. And uh, I don't remember who said it, but if we don't do it, then who else will protect our country? So I think that's the um, what motivates, uh, especially after October 7th. I think that was a major um, part motivation to come to. And in my own part, I have two younger siblings who are drafting into the army in the next couple of months. So me being in reserves is important to show them that it's not a one-time thing. It's not a two-year, three-year thing. And we need to protect the country we live in and continue doing so even after we do our mandatory service. Um, but I think whoever doesn't, if, I don't think there's one soldier who didn't, it didn't cross his or her mind, this is scary and this is nerve wracking, but we have, everyone has their motivations from home as to why we do this and why we need to keep pushing forward. And also the, the, um, the fact that this is our country and we have to fight for it and no, no one else will do it for us. Um, I think like Leah was spot on. Um, the, the day we were drafted, um, you know, it was a crazy day. Uh, uh, there were rockets, there were, there were sirens going out throughout the day. And it was, and you know, we all got that phone call where we were told to come up right now. And you, you turn on your phone, you see what's going on. And, and it looks like no one knows what's going on. Very scary moment, but at the same time, you really know that you're protecting your home. Like you see what's going on. Israel's a small country and rockets up north and things going on down south that only later on we really found out the full extent. But even at the moment, you knew something was going on. And it was a, I can't imagine anyone not feeling scared at that moment, but that fear is not, is not what keeps you at home. It's actually the opposite. It's what pushes you and drives you up north. I think that, that I, I've never gotten ready so quickly. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was at Shul. Um, Shul ended early. They, they canceled Shul in the middle. They said, go home. And I show up. I tell my wife, pack your bag. I'm taking you to my father. My, my, fam my wife's family does not live in Israel. And I, I had a six-week-old baby at home. And it, it felt so counterintuitive that I'm leaving my wife and kid alone. But I also knew that if I don't leave them, <laughs> then no one's going to go protect the border. So I think that the fear is actually what drives us in a way to do what we're doing. The, not, the knowing that if, if not us, nobody will do it. We are here for ourselves. And with the support of our brethren all over the world, I think that, you know, I think that we don't have any other choice. We're proud to do it, but we also don't have any other choice at the same time. Do you are you able to visit to visit them regularly or is it hard to go see? Do you find it harder to go see them? Does it make it harder to go back and and fight if you see them more or is it uh, like recharge you to see them more? In the first few weeks, we couldn't go back home because like we were very tight and uh, and we were waiting to see what's gonna what's gonna happen. 
Okay, no one really know knew, and we still don't really know how it's gonna end. We know what we want to happen will happen. But yeah, after uh, I mean maybe three or four weeks, we did find the way. After all, we feel like we're back in, in, in the army. I mean, we're here like not like reserve anymore. So yeah, we find times to go back home. It does not always work the way we want it to work. But me personal, I have three kids at home, Oh, who's 12 years old, Aviv, which is, don't tell anyone else, but he's the cutest because he's the only one which calls me every single day. And he called me like a few minutes ago, and I really try not to miss his call. Does not always work, but he keeps on calling, and he, and he doesn't give up. And, my, and I have a... The, my daughter is six years old, Gal, and I miss them a lot. I mean, that's the most difficult thing for me, personal. Uh, I miss home. I really miss home. I, I want to go back home. Uh, it's not that I, I want to be here. I prefer going back home. I'm not sure about my job anymore because after three months, like everything is crazy. I cannot even think about going to work. But I will really be happy to go home as soon as possible and to live normally. I miss my kids. I miss my wife. Uh, and uh, yeah, going home whenever I can, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. I'm really happy to be home, but then my kids ask me every time for how long I'm going, when am I going to be back? Right. And they, at least partly, they understand what's going on. Uh, and it is difficult. You know, by the way, there's, there's a... There's a famous uh, Rambam that people uh, study, but when you study it, it's like just sounds, you know, irrational and doesn't make any sense that when someone goes to a war and he wrote it like 800 years ago, you shouldn't think about his family. You know, one would ask, how come you won't think about your family? You're fighting for your family. But if, if you think too much about your family during the war, you won't be able to, to be there. And we understand that for only a short while, hopefully, short as we, as we hope it will be, you're not supposed to think too much about your family, not in, not in terms of, you know, calling your wife and seeing she's okay or speaking with your kids or visiting when, whenever you can. I think what, what he wants to say that sometimes you, you must understand that something bigger and more meaningful from your own pri private family, your own personal family. Because if you think only about your family, as Ethan mentioned before, you won't leave your, your, your baby and your wife and go up north. You know, we don't live here. We live in the center or in the north. So I think that sometimes in some days you need to think wider than your only your own family and eventually go back to your, your family. But now we think about the people that, I mean, just think about it. More than three months, uh, tens of thousands of people were evacuated from their houses and now live in hotels. And we, we think about them now. We think about their, their communities now. And hopefully one day we'll be able to go back home and stay home. Yes. Amen. Um, it actually, it makes me think of, um, from Pirkei Avot, like, if I'm, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? And, um, like, I think this is exactly what you're living right now. Um, 
because like you said, and, and there, there's a certain level where you just don't feel that there's, there's no choice. And if you don't do, if you don't do it, who's going to do it and who's going to ensure that the next generation is safe. So um, it's really, it's really incredible and very humbling to hear all of the things you're doing, especially when, you know, it's so easy for us here. We're, we're not living in Israel and we all get caught up, you know, with our own, you know, little like, I I know it's not uh, Sephardic, but Mishigas, right? We all get caught up with our own like tourists in our head and, you know, the little decisions of every day and should we do this and should we do that? And, um, you know, but uh, we know that we know that there's a war going on, but to hear you speak about it in this way really brings, really helps us understand so much um, the human side of it, of just what what you're going through on a daily basis it makes such a impact for all of us who will be listening um if there's is there any kind of um message or takeaway that you want uh our community to hear from you um at this time just either about the ways you know we talked about ways to support but is there anything that you want us to know over here um, I would just like to share a story that I told you, Michelle, last time we spoke, um, which I think summarizes the what young people here in Israel, um, what their lives are right now. So like I said before, I grew up in the States. My parents still, uh, still live here. They're Israeli, and I grew up in an Israeli household. Um, we're four siblings. I have a twin sister and two younger siblings that are a year apart, but my brother skipped the grade, so they're like twins. Um, and all four of us decided to make Aliyah come live in Israel and draft into the army. So my twin sister and I are here, have been here for five years, and my little siblings came here a year ago, one to do a mechina, um, like uh, before the army gap year, and the other one a volunteer gap year. And when the war started, the the JCC. Um, near my house, asked my dad to come speak to the board of the JCC. And he um, was thinking, what am I going to say? Knock on wood, I don't know anyone close um, that was murdered on October 7th, at least in the first uh, circle of people I know. So he thought, hey, what am I, I going to talk about? My family is okay um, in the big spectrum of things. And then he Thought that I thought about it that my little siblings, their counselor in uh, the program that they're doing to draft and make Aliyah was murdered at the party. Um, and during their time in Israel, and a girl from my sister's Mechina was murdered in her base, army base. So he was thinking that my little siblings, who are 18 and 19, were in more funerals in the past year of living in Israel than he was even at that age. And that children, most children who grew up in America, haven't weren't couldn't even imagine being in a funeral maybe that's not of their grandparents or someone that um that's as young as they are so i think that what people need to see is that young people the young people's lives here are so different um than in other places and the fact that my little siblings were in more funerals than i've been and that my parents were at that age is unbelievable to me in the worst way possible um, but I will say, I would, and then my point is though that even with all that, we still live here and people still have fun and 
we're starting to get back into the swing of regular life, people who aren't in reserves. I started university, so as much as I can, I'm trying to go also and study. And people are still going out to restaurants and um, starting to even go to parties. And, and life is coming back. And I think that's also um, Israel and Israelis, that there's these hard times and things that you have to do to protect our country, but also still love life and find happiness and find fun things to do and good things and not just let this awful, horrible thing that is going on um, always be like to always be depressed. And I think one of the things to for the people who were murdered on October 7th is to keep living life and living life to its fullest potential in every way possible. Um, so it's important for me to share that story as an American Israeli who grew up in uh, in the States and had the option to either go to college and go to university at 18 or to come and draft and how I see uh, my life and my family's life. Um, and that's it, I think, for me. That's amazing. I would like to thank you again in person, Michelle, for, uh, for having us and for uh, uh, having the option to speak to this great community, which my sister is also part of. Uh, and hopefully I can personal on our unit uh, I hope we'll have our time to go rest soon. I know we'll have to come back. It's not a question. It's a question just how long we'll go to rest. Could be a few weeks, maybe a month or two. I don't know. But uh, I hope to to take this mission that, that we took upon ourselves, not just the mission we got in the military, uh, to meet our guys, to meet the, our, 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 the families, uh, I don't know, just have the time together, let them have the time with the family, some vacation or something. It's like a little bit crazy. Uh, I connect to what Leah said, that we're trying to keep normal in this terrible, unnormal situation. And when I know, I know in personal, when I have a chance to go back home, I told my boss, I'm not coming back to work. I'm gonna take, spend some time with my family, hopefully go on some vacation, and I wish uh, the same thing to all my soldiers in our unit to do the same. And we'll be back. We'll be back whenever we need. I would like to add, um, again, echoing what Noam said about uh, thanking you. I think is your community and other Jewish community has a very, a very strong and important role in this time because we all listened more than once to the uh, head of the universities, the Ivy League universities, the Congress, when the testimony of what it's called. And we were amazed. I mean, on the one hand, the U.S. is our best friend and we we owe you a lot, the, the U.S. government for supporting Israel now during the war. On the other hand, hearing, you know, very powerful people talking in this way about what's going on in Israel. And let's be clear, what happened here in Israel on October 7th, was very similar and in some ways even worse than what happened in the in the Second World War. And hearing they're they're you know struggling to trying to say is it anti-Semitism or not and what's being you know how do you really define it? It's terrible and shocking and frightening. And I think that you have a lot of power as American Jews to speak up and say not again. I mean we can't afford that and and stand with us and tell the world what's really going on here and not accepting any kind of anti-Semitism 
in, in America and any other place, because this is super important for us. And you support us a lot in terms of what's going on here in Israel, but we need your, your support also in what's going on in, in the States. In the world. In the world, yeah. We're, we're strong over here. We, we know our mission and we work very hard to do it and we'll never stop doing it. And we're all committed. And we just need your support from where you are. You don't have to worry about us. We're taking care of our mission. <laughs> yeah, I, um, well, listen, you have. We're strong and we're positive and we're happy. It's important to know. Yeah. Which is, um, it's really, truly unbelievable. And, um, and it really speaks to like, that's the spirit of the Jewish people that, um, we all love so much and just want to be close to, you know, I I'm dying to be able to get over there and just feel the energy of all of that. But as far as we're concerned, you all and um, the whole country, the IDF has all of our thousand percent support and unwavering support. And we're praying for you. We, uh, we sing the, we sing uh, prayers for the soldiers every Shabbat. We say your names you know, we think of you all the time and doing everything humanly possible without literally coming there on an airplane <laughs> to fight with you, but doing everything possible to to bear witness to what you're going through and to make sure that your messages and your stories are heard and that the truth gets out um, to, to everybody. Um, and really, I see no difference between your children and my children. And um, I know that you're fighting for my children. And so if there's anything we can do to help you and your families and your children, then we are absolutely here for you. And we will put the link, like I mentioned, in some fancy technological way <laughs> when the show is over, we will put the link to the amazing website you've put together and how you've prioritized com community is something that we should all, all learn from. I want to just add... I want to add uh, what you're saying. It, it is important. When you drive, when I uh, go home every couple of weeks or so, uh, when I drive back home to my wife for the weekend, uh, the highway is covered in signs. And the whole way down, you see uh, banners that says, together we'll win. And I think it is important to remember, and this is the way I see it, is that we are one. We are one people, only in ocean, only in ocean, separates us, but you know, uh, just because we're here in Israel, because you are in Florida, doesn't mean anything about us being separate. We are one, we're Am Yisrael. We went, we went through our whole uh, 3000 year history together. And that's the way we see it here. Um, yeah. Yes, we do. Thank you again for all your support. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for your time. Be safe. Thank you so much. The Essential Questions podcast has been made possible by the Temple Beth El Jewish Ideas Incubator, committed to creativity and innovation in modern Jewish life. Many thanks to our production team, Jason Reeser, Amanda Brenzel, and Susan Stallone. You can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, and the Podbean app, as well as on Temple Beth El's website, tbeboka.org slash essentialquestions. Share this podcast with your friends, rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. 
And we want to know what are your essential questions. Let us know by emailing us at eq at tbeboca.org. I'm Rabbi Dan Levin, and thanks for listening to the Essential Questions Podcast.